The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. to The Waking Dream, a poppychularadio.com original series. Poppy Chula Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, August 15th, 2022, and I am your host, Vincent Hatcher. During this podcast, we will be having an in-depth discussion on Netflix's The Sandman. Please welcome my co-hosts, Priscilla Obregon. Hey, everybody. And Jeffrey Aruz. Hey, listeners. Welcome back. I wonder if I'll ever say your names without any kind of, like, inflection. It's just so much fun. I enjoy the inflection. <laughs> I know. It um, feels like I have to have, like, a flamenco, like, hand wave whenever you get my name. Priscilla, from now on, even though I can't see it, I want you to do that every time you're introduced. <laughs> yes. Sure. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 4, which was appropriately titled... A Hope in Hell, and debuted August 5th, 2022, via Netflix. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. A lead on the whereabouts of his helm compels Morpheus to seek an audience with Lucifer. A confused John receives a helping hand from a good Samaritan. So as we left the last episode, Dream had told Matthew, Hey, yeah, we're going to hell. Matthew was like, hell, hell? Like, we're going to hell? And sure enough... They are. Our two journeymen begin to follow the damned to the gates of hell, and we are introduced to hell as an environment. Not the most cheery of places, obviously. They make their way up to the gates, and Matthew kind of expects Morpheus to just kind of jump right in and walk right in. And Morpheus, ever the gallant gentleman, following decorum and protocol, states that he is an uninvited guest. He is a lord from another realm, and he cannot just waltz right in unannounced. And there are rules that have to be followed because he is a lord of another realm. Hmm, where's that going, I wonder? We'll come back to that. Because we cut to John D. in Buffalo, who was almost hit by a car. As we remember, the end of last episode, John made his gory and slow step-by-step escape from the facility... Met the Corinthian, got a jacket, and was looking around Buffalo, wondering where he was, what's going on. And as he's doing so, he is pretty much just about hit by a car. The driver, Rosemary, very concerned, good Samaritan, gets out and helps him stand up, helps him get his slippers back. And she can kind of tell John's a little bit out of it, maybe not all there. She's kind of concerned. Like, do you know where you're going? Do you know what you need? He's like, I don't even know where I am. And so Rosemary, out of the goodness of her heart, offers a ride to our friend John. Now, there was a moment where you could kind of tell that Rosemary looked a little bit wary about offering it, but her, her goodness won out and she offered the ride. And so 
John gets in the car with Rosemary and they begin their journey. Now, Dream and Matthew, they 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 got what Dream wanted. They they were announced and a demon walks up to the gates of hell. He's not the most friendly doorman, but you know, it is hell. So kind of expected, right? I don't expect like super customer service. And they enter hell and we find them walking through a foggy forest of bodies trapped in trees. We hear ominous hellish sounds and they walk along through spiraling pillars of jail cells in hell. And along the way, Dream walks by a cell and a woman calls out to him by another name, asking if he has come to free her, finally. We see a face up, as is what I'm calling it when the camera zooms in on a face, a face up, it's a new thing, trademarked by me. We see him suddenly as she sees him, a young African male, and he's talking to her and she's asking, have you come to set me free? And he says, I love you, but I still haven't forgiven you. They share a longing glance and they walk away. And Matthew, of course, I mean, he's, he's curious about this. So he asked Dream, what was all that about? Who is she? She knows you. What's going on? And Dream tells us that long ago, there was a tribe of people. They were called the tribe of the first people. And he was with this tribe, and he was with the woman, Nada. And they were clearly together romantically. And she defied or betrayed him and did something bad. And Dream sent her to hell. Like, he legit just says, yeah, I sent her here because of what she did. And Matthew's like, okay, cool. So, you know, your girlfriend kind of pissed you off, did something, and you send her to hell when she's been here for thousands of years. All right, cool. And they continue their journey through hell. We get a little bit more awesome hellish imagery as they approach the castle and all that fun stuff. And clearly, it's a very ominous castle, as would befit Lucifer Morningstar. And as they get there, they get inside, and we get to meet Lucifer Morningstar. The fallen angel, the king of hell, and cloud in, cloud in white, looking like an angel that just stepped out of heaven. And let's stop there, because I would love to hear the thoughts about Lucifer, the journey through hell to get there, and what we thought of hell and everything therein, as well as the beginning of the ride with Rosemary. Jeff, talk to me. What do you think and feel? All right. First of all, Rosemary, you in danger, girl. Like I was—that's the first thing that I thought in my mind. I was like, "You seem like a nice lady, but you do not want to be involved in any of this. Nothing good happens in the middle of the night when it's raining." I'm just saying. So that was that. The second thing that I wanted to say is uh, the interpretation of dream in different cultures was fascinating to watch because I wasn't sure if we were going to see that. And so the fact that we saw it was beautiful and how they represented it was really well done. Like I wanted more, like I wanted to know what did she do? Why is she in hell? She's been in hell for a thousand years. What the hell? Bitter, petty, bitch, party of one? What the hell are you, Dream? Like, that, I was just like, what? <laughs> just spectacular, though. But really sad for her, because she's in hell. 
but uh, but this little plot point in my opinion was incredible foreshadowing for later on in the episode so props to them for including this because i think one of the reasons for including this outside of the fact that we got to see dream interpreted in different cultures was sort of like the payoff later on in the episode and then hell as a whole uh the fact that matthew was like i didn't expect it to be cold and then he was like oh you got to bring your own fire to hell like all of the lines were fantastic the um the the creature uh, i know that he called him something but i don't remember what it was called but he was fascinating in his like nasty grody self and even the visuals were like really interesting as well you know it it was what you kind of expect hell to be uh sort of like without sort of like the pomp and circumstance of it like you know because i think you typically sort of imagine just fire everywhere and smoke everywhere and while it was kind of foggy and smoky you know it wasn't the typical iteration of hell and so i liked that they didn't sort of like go that route until like a little bit later on nice priscilla talk to me what did you think of everything leading up to and then what did you think of the uh introduction of lucifer Man, they got the whole, like, mysterious, silent, hilly sort of, like, fucked upness of the demons really well. This demon looked like he could really mess you up if you pissed him off. And he looked like a demon. And I, I really appreciate that. We've come far from, like, the demons in Buffy. So, like, yeah. Good job with the makeup there. And... The Raven, I completely, like, Matthew, his little quips the entire time had me rolling. When he's like, you have to bring your own fire to hell. I'm like, well, it's hell. They're going <laughs> to torture you any way they can. And, like, the the scene with um, Dream's ex-girlfriend, heartbreaking. I, like, I love that they kept Dream's hair, but, like, another like ethnic sort of twist on his like hair that sticks up like in the actor that played him in the other race and oh my god I loved it I was like please let us have an episode with just him and like I completely agree with um with Jeffrey it's incredible foreshadowing for what happens later on because you can see that even though she's in hell she still has hope and he uses that later on. So like it's 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 wonderful to see to to see that. And I think Matthew has finally like gained the trust of Dream and allow allowed himself to like not allowed himself, but like Dream has allowed him to accompany him and like they're they're becoming friends. I didn't really get that in the fir- in the first episode he comes out in. I felt like he was still like, no, I don't want to use you. But as soon as like they go to hell together, like you can tell that there's gonna be rapport there. He he might not be Jessamy like completely, but he has a fondness for Raven, so he's gonna he's gonna do well with him. And Lucifer, oh my God, I was one of the people that was like 
no, I want my I want Lucifer from 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 the show. I want I want Tom Ellis, but if I couldn't have Tom Ellis because it's not the right feel for this for this series, then having Gwendolyn Christie, oh, so good. She's got this presence about her. This like I don't know this regalness, and those wings just looked so good. I was I was amazed. She looked like. A, a sullied angel, which is exactly what what Lucifer Morningstar is. So it's it's perfect. So I was also one of the people that was like, I, I want my Lucifer. I either wanted Tom Ellis or I wanted Lucifer, like in the comics, and and that way that I had always pictured him. You know, when I listened to the audiobook or I read the comics and looked at how he was drawn and all of that. I'll, I'll be honest. I my introduction to Gwendolyn Christie was Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones, and so that's really the 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 most well rounded acting that I've seen her in because I haven't really seen much of her other work. So you know, based off that, I'm like, clearly she's got a good repertoire and she's very skilled. But it was kind of like, that's not my Lucifer. But the moment she was on screen, I was like. Okay, insert my foot in my mouth right now because she killed it. As you said, Priscilla, like the regalness, the the absolute sophistication and beauty of the character. She captured it. And underneath the pristine facade that she presented, the, there was that undercurrent of malice and rage and envy. Just in the first couple minutes she was on the screen. It, it was absolutely beautiful. As for everything else on the journey to get there... I really, really enjoyed the journey through hell as well. I, I had touched upon in our last recording how Matthew was really injecting this this excellent comedic aspect, this kind of banter with Dream that is kind of keeping Dream from falling silent as he is wont to do. And they have these conversations and they're learning a bit from each other. And I really, really enjoyed their journey to Lucifer's Palace and thought it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, Rosemary and John... I'm not going to lie, like, going into this, Priscilla, I don't know about you, but, like, I remembered stuff, and I was like, oh, I forgot about this story arc until right now. What's going to happen? How are they going to do this? And we'll talk about how they do this later. But there was a moment where I got, like, this unsure knot in my belly, like, what are they changing? What are they not changing? And that added this, like, level of suspense for me that it's really kind of expanded my, like, appreciation for this series iteration because... I know a lot of what happens. I may not remember everything, but I have been here and loving everything that they've done so far with the way they've handled the characters and the story. And it, the beginning that we got with Rosemary and John really, really baited my attention for like, okay, I want to, I, I want to know more now. So talking about knowing more for right now, we're going to continue our little journey with uh, the Lucifer and the Lord of dreams coming together. So, Dream arrives, he's greeted by Lucifer and a very strong and powerful, based on her appearance and the way she presents herself, demon by the name of Mazikeen, who, shout out to Lucifer the series once again as a character listeners might know and love in that show. So Mazikeen is there attending to Lucifer. Lucifer is very civil. They have some introductory banter and just kind of what you'd expect of like, oh, I see you're in my realm. Welcome. Political intrigue. Very, very undercurrent-like going on. There's a lot of tension. And Dream states why he's there. You know, I'm after my helm. It was taken from me. It's in the ownership of a demon of yours here in hell. 
And Lucifer's like, oh, well, tell me their name. I'll be more than happy to make them give it back. And I don't know if you two caught it, but I caught it. There was like a little bit of a beginning of a smirk when she said that. Like, you don't know the name, do you? <laughs> Did you guys catch that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She told me to summon them all up just to, just to mess with them because she doesn't give a shit about Dream. Like, she... she <laughs> The introduction was like, are you going to join my crusade? And he's like, fuck no. And he, like, if if he's not with her, he's against her. So, like, I can, I totally saw the, the, the little smirk and I grinned. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and and this is an, uh, an ongoing thing with the character of Lucifer in this episode. It was really, really, like, we got very slow unraveling of the character and of their intentions. And so during this this banter, Lucifer was like, oh, well, you know, if you can't remember him, as Priscilla just mentioned, Lucifer was like, well, let me summon all of them. And with a wave of Lucifer's hand, all of the demons of hell are gathered suddenly below the castle in this, like, something out of Lord of the Rings with all of the orcs in Mordor. There's fire and there's demons cheering and screaming and lots of helly stuff going on. And Lucifer is kind of like, a pig and you know what very much like hmm, that's going to take you a very long time and dream is like yes it could but if we remember he got his sand back in the last episode so this episode he's got a little ace up his sleeve that he didn't have before and so dream proceeds to say yes it would but i have my ways and whipping out his handy dandy dream sand he pulls out a little bit of sand, casts it out. We get like a Jafar from Aladdin kind of like magical spiral, except it's sand and not smoke. Uh, and then appears a demon, the demon who has the helm. And Dream wants it back. The demon's like, nope, nope, it's mine. I'm not going to give it up. I traded it fair and square to give that lady something, which if we remember correctly, that was Ethel and the Orb of Protection. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to do it. You'll have to challenge me for it. And Dream accepts. All right. I will accept the challenge to get my helm back. And there's like this little hint, like, you know the consequences, right? Like, if you lose Dream, this is not going to go well for you. Because as it turns out, if he loses this challenge, he will now serve the demon who has his helm in hell for all of eternity. No take backsies. But Dream knows. And he's kind of at a point where it's like, well, I need it, so I'm going to do it. And then we get a little bit of a curveball. Lucifer asks Dream, who will fight for you? A callback to older times when duels would take place and it wasn't always the person who was offended or the person that was being challenged that would take place. You could sometimes pick someone to stand in for you. And that procedure happens in hell. But Dream is like, nope, you know what? I will face the challenge myself. I will fight the challenge. I will do it. And there's kind of like a knowing glance as Lucifer looks over at the other demon and says, and who will you choose to represent you in battle? The demon takes one look at Dream and back over at Lucifer and says, my lord, I would choose you to represent me. And thus, we have the setup for a bout between Lucifer and the lord of dreams what did we think about this 
before we get into the challenge and what took place, I'm just going to open it up to either of you who want to say what happened and where where it's going. Like, how did you guys feel about this uh, little development? I'll let Jeffrey go first. I mean, it was good. You know, just watching these two... Uh, 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 well, are they gods? En- Endlesses? whatever, powerful people sort of going toe-to-toe. Lucifer clearly thinking that they have one, you know, they're one step or like ten steps ahead of Dream was fantastic. I love the way Gwendolyn Christie was playing it. Uh, Yeah, it was just really interesting to watch lucifer's reactions and machinations and all that kind of stuff so uh yeah it it was fascinating and and i guess that's all that i can say because i really want to jump into the the fight but uh i'll I'll leave it there priscilla that little smirk before that we talked about this was lucifer's life when 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 the demon is like, I would choose you to represent me, my lord. I was like, you knew. You knew it was going to come down to this, you little bitch. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. And Dream stands on his own as, as an endless. Like, before we saw him super weak, without any sand, almost helpless to bring back his realm. But with the sand, he could at least summon a demon in hell. And I hate to say this, but, like, what what power does he have in hell when it's not even his realm anymore and he only has a sand? Obviously, he's, like, an endless is very powerful since he could do that. So I like the fact that that Dream is getting some agency now, that he's not just a pushover, some little twink that's just scared no he's he's a badass and i like that i love that you called him a twink (laughs) that was great oh god i was so enthralled by by this build-up and you you know when i when i was setting up for this episode i was like I, i i i like dragging it out between when we have our little talkings but like this moment specifically was like there was so much tension building up in just a couple of minutes before they got to the challenge. And like you said, Priscilla, the smirk and just the way that Lucifer held themselves and then just the subtle transition that we get as the plan unfurls and we're like, oh, God, Dream's fucked. Possibly. Is he? Like, I was guessing. And I was like, I know how this is supposed to go. And clearly he's the hero. But what kind of fresh hell in hell is he going to have to go through? And so... I was so excited to, to watch this happen, and we are about to get into that fight that we are all so eager to discuss, because the combatants have been decided. And Dream, remembering what happened when he was imprisoned under Burgess's house, is trying to convince Matthew, look, I appreciate that you came with me, I'm glad that you're here, but I need you to go back to the Dreaming and let Lucienne know about my fate. I don't want anyone to ever think that I abandoned them again. But Matthew isn't having it. He's there for a reason. Lucian sent him to be there with Dream, and he wants to be there to support Dream and be there for him. So Matthew stops listening to it about going back and 
flies on up to a top seat view of what is about to happen as Lucifer walks over and just kind of like laissez-faire, like, oh, did I interrupt a, uh, a pre-bout powwow? And a little cute little exchange. And then Dream is like, no, we were just having a conversation. I'm ready. And thus begins the oldest game. Lucifer and Dream face off, mind you, after a costume change for both of them. Lucifer now in pure black, no longer in white. Dream is in a little bit more of a regal black garment, very princely, very endless, very godly. And they're simply standing across from each other. And Lucifer starts the game by saying, I am a dire wolf. And describes what a dire wolf does. It hunts, it bites, it chases. And in describing the things the dire wolf can do, these things happen to dream. And thus begins a back and forth. There's snakes, there's dire wolves, there's bacteria or disease. It is an ever-escalating game of one-upping the previous person's turn. And we get to a point where they both have some wins, and it's very tense, and we get to a level where Dream says, I am the universe. Now, I don't know about you, but I found myself wondering, where can you go after the universe? Because that's kind of like everything, right? But Lucifer, being the trickster, being the plotter, being the incredibly intelligent being that they are, plays their trump card. I am anti-life. The end and darkness of everything, I end it all. And our boy Dream kind of gets hit pretty hard. Because that is, that's, that's a lot to one-up. And he's clearly taking it hard as he starts to fall to the ground. And he almost looks like Rachel did last episode. He's gray, he's very pallid, he's weak. He collapses to the ground as Lucifer looks down with that no longer a subtle smirk, but a full-on smirk, watching what they believe to be their victory. But Matthew, once again, he's not having this. He's not down with what's going down. So Matthew flies down next to Dream and starts giving him a pep talk. You're the Lord of Dreams. You're endless. You're powerful. And this talk gets through to Dream, who struggles to speak. Um, I am... And he's really struggling hard. The pep talk was great, but he is weak and he is losing. But then he gets out that third word. I am hope. And this takes Lucifer aback. Lucifer is like, wait, what? What? Oh, oh, crap. And Dream wins the oldest game by talking about hope and the power of the future and the power of dreaming about future through hope. And this wins the game because hope has this power that even in darkness, even in hell, there is hope. And Lucifer's trump card turns out to not be as big of a trump card as it was. Acknowledging defeat without coming out and saying it, Lucifer advises that the demon is to give Dream his helm back. The demon refuses Mazakine has to uh, convince him and help him part with the helm. And by convince him, I mean taking the helm forcefully and 
expelling the demon off of the balcony into the pit of thronging demons down below. And the helm is returned to Dream. Dream accepts it and makes a comment on how civil and honorable the ruler of hell truly is. And Lucifer cocks her head, his head, their head, and says, civil, honorable, no. See, Lucifer has understood that Dream is powerful because when they ask about what power does hope have in hell, and Dream says, who in hell doesn't dream of heaven? We get a shine of light, and Lucifer was very, very moved, remembering what it was like to be in heaven. And Lucifer remembers that in this moment and says, no, but know this, one day we will come to destroy you. And thus ends the game. He has his helm back. Matthew and Dream utilize the helm to pinpoint the location of the ruby, and they teleport out of hell. All right. Now, that was a lot, right? There was a lot going on. And Jeff, I know you were really excited, and you can start us off talking about the fight, the win, the hope. Oh, it was beautiful. It was so good. Lucifer thought they were going to win. And let's be real. I mean, it, it was kind of almost set up for Lucifer to win because we had all of this talk leading up to us meeting Lucifer that Lucifer basically is, is much more powerful than Dream. So if Dream was going to win, it, it would have had to have been not necessarily with a show of force, which is what Lucifer kept on doing with, you know, one-upping Dream. It had to be with, you know, cleverness, with intelligence, with, you know, a, a cunningness from dream and uh whether it was matthew reminding dream or it was just dream remembering you know it, it was just the best period lucifer clearly is going to be a thorn in dream's side uh, i mean you know based off of how things ended so i feel like we're gonna see i don't know if we're gonna see a lot more of lucifer moving forward but we definitely will see lucifer again because that's the the threat that was given um is one i would say that probably shouldn't be taken lightly by dream but i hope whenever lucifer returns that dream has all of his powers because i feel like he's gonna need everything to to battle lucifer because lucifer seems to lucifer seems to be a little bitch i mean let's just be real so you know uh yeah you gotta watch out for the bitches in the world because they're gonna try to bring you down and uh clearly that's what lucifer wants to do it's a dream Indeed. Indubitably. Priscilla, talk to me about the oldest game. This game was awesome. Like, the actors must have had so much fun pretending they were, like, slapped or bitch slapped or, like, scratched or poisoned and stuff. Like, it just, it looked so cool. And both of their voices were commanding as hell. Like, you could totally, like, picture them doing this to each other without seeing the image afterwards. That's how, like, in 
enthralling their voices are. Like I I loved it. And when when Lucifer said the anti-life, I was right there with you. I was like, how 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 are you gonna beat that dream? Cause that that's the end of everything. You just that's it, you won. And when the Raven was like, No, get up, dream. Like you're 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 better than this. I, I know you. You're not gonna leave me in hell. And Dream remembers that even though he's dying, there's hope. That was a beautiful moment. And I love how they how cinematography expressed hope because it's a comic. You've seen like how hope was expressed there, but like the visual medium of TV is different. And to have it be like this warm golden light that entrances like Lucifer and makes her like think back to like dreams of heaven of like of better moments for them instead of how it was in hell. Like it's awesome. And it, it, Jeffrey called her uh, c- called them a bitch. And I completely agree when she's like, Summon the demon that 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 needs to be here, and Mazikeen pushed the demon away when the demon didn't want to give the helm. Oh, it was so awesome! And I was so pumped to see Mazikeen because the art for Mazikeen, like the face, is so grotesque—the half face—that like I was wondering how they were going to portray it here, considering in the show Lucifer they only showed it a couple of times, and they never like the actress got to keep her beautiful face. So the fact that they made Mazikeen like the way she's supposed to be in the comics was awesome. I loved it. And um I just got to say when Lucifer like threatened Dream again and Dream was like what you what power is like what when Lucifer's like what power do dreams have in hell? It's like ooh and but when he responded who doesn't dream of heaven here? I was like, damn, you got her right in the field. So when Jeffrey is like, I hope that she had that 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 dream has all of his weaponry like with him because he's gonna need it whenever Lucifer comes back. A part of me is like agrees with that, but another part of me is like, well, if he could handle her in her own realm with just sand as his backup, as his power. Then he can handle her anywhere. Like I, I, I'm in any fight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with 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 Dream, and I'm gonna root for him because I think that he can handle himself no matter what. Even if it is Lucifer. Even if he did, he did say at the beginning of this episode that Lucifer is one of the most powerful beings on this planet and is more powerful than him. Like, no, I still think that. Throughout all of this, there's hope for Dream yet. And I think that Dream is going to get what he deserves, whether it's having the the ruby and the helm and the sand or just having two things or just having one thing. Like, he's going to, he's, he has enough confidence in his abilities that I don't worry about him. Excellent. Yeah, you know, for me, the the game was ab. I love games of wit. 
and strategy and some of the most enjoyable games like that they don't have a board they don't have a, a cartridge or a disc to play on a console they are just philosophical conversations like the oldest game in in this show and the way that it was depicted and the the reactions that they had when they were getting attacked i agree i think that must have been really fun to film i especially loved it when lucifer got like scratched on the face I think it was, it was really, it, it was so well done. And the the gravity and the and just enormousness of when he made that remark about dreams and heaven and hell. And, you know, earlier in the episode, one of the comments that Dream made is that we were friends once. I, I knew Lucifer when they were an angel and they were the wisest and most powerful and benevolent angel. At the end of the episode, when... Lucifer is in trance. There's that golden light and she's looking up and clearly thinking of heaven and almost has a smile on the face. I feel like we got a very brief moment of what Lucifer was like when Dream was friends with them before. And that was very powerful because it gave us a very, very little glimpse, but it gave us so much more insight into the character. There's this like war of like the hell Lucifer that is Lucifer now and the Lucifer that used to be. And there's clearly parts of them both going on inside of this being. And I agree. I, I think that Dream is much more powerful than he realizes. And I think that is because of the journey that he's been going on. Dream at the beginning before he was captured, I, I think he would have been able to stand up against Lucifer. But I don't know that he would have won this game because he thought with his tools and his duty and his job. But thinking about hope. Matthew helped him realize that. And the journey he's already been on with Johanna and realizing that maybe not all humans are bad has given him hope that he'll get his powers and his tools back. I, I think that the journey he has been on has really helped him find power within himself that maybe he didn't even know that he had. So speaking of his ruby and his tools and all that, they teleport. They get to what looks to be a uh, storage locker or a garage somewhere. And, I mean, it's very obvious where the ruby is. He's smack dab in front of it. There's a box that's glowing red. Dream walks up and opens it up. And there, sure enough, is the ruby. It is there in front of him after all this time, after all this buildup. And he goes and grabs the ruby and he's holding it. And there's a moment where he's like, yeah, I got it. But then he gets this look as he realizes it's been altered. And there's a flash of light. And Dream and Matthew are shot back from repelling magic from the ruby. Because if we remember, John told his mother that he had altered the ruby and it would only work for him. And woe beside anyone that tried who was not him. And so Dream and Matthew are knocked back and unconscious on the floor of this storage unit. As outside, a car pulls up. A car that has been on its own separate journey. While not in hell, there's been a little bit of hell going on inside the car for our friend Rosemary. Rosemary offered John that ride. And along the way, we get kind of like a, a road trip storyline that's very awkward and very tense and very soul-searching. Because as they're driving, there's Rosemary, her dog, and John in the back seat. They're having this really open and honest conversation about people, about humans, about trust and lies and fear and hurt. And not very long after John got in the car, 
he's he's a very big sharer. Like he has no qualms sharing his past and his history. And he's talking about his rubies, talking about the things that he's done and you know the people that he had to kill. And now Rosemary, who already had a little bit of apprehension about picking up this stranger, clearly she's a little shook. And you you killed people? Yeah, but they were bad people. They were after my things and they wanted to do things and they were bad. And Rosemary, very clearly, like, oh, God, maybe I should have left this guy, you know, with one slipper in the middle of the streets of Buffalo, tries to be clever while John's talking from the back seat, And she's got one of those phone mounts where her phone's sitting there navigating her to where they're going. And she tries to grab it and punch in 911. But she slips and kind of drops the phone. And that gets John's attention. And so she very quickly recovers. And she's like, oh, sorry, the phone fell out of its holster. And she goes back to having the conversation with John, except she's very, very tense now because, of course, she's worried she's going to be hurt and she's going to maybe die at the hands of this loon that she picked up. So their journey continues and they're having a a civil conversation. But Rosemary, you know, worked up and scared. She asks if they can stop for gas. And John says, hey, sure, no problem. Let's do it. So they pull up. She's like, oh, I got to pay inside because she sees that there's a store that's open with somebody inside. And as she's walking, you know, she's trying to make it seem like nothing's out of the ordinary. She asks John if he wants anything, something to drink maybe. John doesn't see anything's, you know, awry. And he says no. And so Rosemary goes to go inside. But then on second thought, John's like, you know what? I will come in with you. I will. And they go inside. And she tells John, you know what, pick out whatever you want. And John is very shocked. He's like, really, are you sure? She's like, yeah, it's cool. Just go ahead and and, and get what you want. Take your time. I'm going to go up and pay for the gas. And Rosemary thus begins something that if you've ever seen a kidnapping movie where she walks up and she's trying to like subconsciously get the guy behind the register to help her. She's like, I need you to call 911 for me. The guy's so busy drawing. He's like, wait, what? And she says it a couple times. And she tells him, like, this guy, he's with me, he killed people, I need you to call 911. And the gas station clerk proceeds to call 911, rather audibly talking about what's going on, about how there's this man and this woman in the store, and the man's got the woman captive. And so, of course, John hears and walks up, grabs Rosemary by the arm. We gotta go. The guy behind the counter pulls a gun and... Clearly, we've seen this before. John's like, nope, you don't want to do that. You don't want to shoot me. Trust me. I know you don't want to. And pan outside the station. We don't get to see the unraveling happen this time, but there's a gunshot. And guts on the wall. And John and Rosemary walk outside. Rosemary's clearly shaken, clearly upset, because she just watched a guy explode behind a gas station counter And her little ray of hope for escaping is gone. Priscilla, does your hope for her escape go away too? Oh my God. This is the most tense exchange ever. Like when you were saying in the last episode that you always thought John had like this like sort of like malevolent like twist to him that you didn't like him. This is it. This is like entirely like him being like oh no I killed people just because they got in my way but they were bad people because they got in my way I'm like do you hear yourself rationalizing this you crazy bitch 
what's wrong with you? And that lady was like, oh, my God, I regret picking you up. You could totally see in her face. She's like, my daughters are not going to have a mother anymore after I'm done with this guy. He's going to kill me. And it was so tense. Even when she got to the to the to the store at, to, and was like, I'm going to go inside. And I was like, yes, she's going to be free. She's going to. She's she's gonna call the cops and she, at the very least she's gonna be able to go home while everybody else around her dies, and no, you, like it works out that way sort of, but not in the way you expect. With him being like, no, I'm gonna follow you because I don't know what I'm gonna want to drink. I, I need to look at my options. I was like, damn, stop being nice to this guy. <laughs> He's just taking advantage of your goodness, and it it's to- oh, I felt so bad for the. For for the guy at the gas station because it wasn't it wasn't his fault he was just doing exactly what he was supposed to do he wasn't gonna let this poor innocent woman be taken away by some murderer so when it came down to it and he used the gun like I didn't feel bad but I felt bad that he died because he didn't deserve that he was just being a good guy too yeah he was trying to be nice maybe he should have stuck with drawing <laughs> Jeff what about you. Oh, good grief. I think Priscilla captured uh, the mood of this storyline perfectly. It was tense. It was uncomfortable because I had no idea what that man was going to do to poor Rose Mary. Like, I I was worried for her, but he seemed so nice. Like, you know, he seems like the type of uh, person where if you don't piss him off, you know... It's all gravy, baby. And so I was like, please don't do anything to agitate this man because he is talking to you all lovely about him being a murderer and being in jail for 30 years and how, you know, he doesn't like people to lie to him and all this kind of stuff. Please don't lie to him. Please be nice. Smile. Offer him some Lay's potato chips and a seven a up <laughs> right like just you know offer him something nice and and you'll survive because i did not want her to die like she just seemed like a nice woman even though he kept on asking questions like do you do you lie to your children and she was like oh shit i mean i mean i think all parents lie you know little white lies like nothing really big but then she was like, oh, no, my husband was the liar. I was like, okay, good. Like, you won points with him on that one. I was like, oh, God, lady, just please don't do anything suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. And then she had to tell the damn clerk. And then he had to be all fucking loud about it. So it, uh, I knew it wasn't going to end well for him, but I was very worried for her. As was I. I, you know, I really, really enjoyed their their conversation in the car, you know, the lying to your children. Why do people lie? And, you know, Rosemary talking about why she thinks that people lie out of fear and her kind of giving John a new perspective on why people lie. Because he, you know, was like, oh, you know, it's just because they're selfish. And when she presented the idea of like, no, people lie because they're afraid. Maybe they're afraid of getting hurt. And it, it really kind of gave him a realization But Priscilla, I do agree with you. This was malevolence. You know, I I think if this was Dungeons and Dragons, this version of John D would be like a lawful evil. 
he's not chaotic like he is in the comics. He's like, if you don't fuck with me, I'm not going to fuck with you unless you get in my way. As Jeff said, it's it's gravy, baby, unless you piss me off, and then you're the gravy. So we got a little bit of a shot inside John's mind as far as, like, he's in control more than he appeared last episode. He's not just haphazardly stumbling around. He's aware of his surroundings, and he's aware of potential dangers, and he reacts to them as he sees fit. Scorched Earth if he has to. And so... Rosemary makes it. She she survives the Gaston encounter, but she's very shook. She's very upset. She asks John, are you going to hurt me? Very candidly and very bravely. And John kind of looks at her and says, that depends. Are you still taking me to my ruby? And Rosemary nods enthusiastically. Yes, yes, yes. Then no, I don't think I'll have a reason to hurt you. And they resume their trip. And at the end of this trip, they get to a parking lot. And there's a garage, a couple garages around them. It's clearly some kind of storage area. And John just, you know, kind of thanks her and gets out of the car and goes inside. And he gets his ruby. Now, if we remember, we just mentioned that Dream and Matthew were knocked unconscious by the ruby. But John does not seem to know, or if he does, he doesn't show it. Because he only has eyes for his ruby. He walks up, he picks up his ruby, and triumphantly walks out, and then is very surprised to find Rosemary sitting in the car waiting for him. He walks up and knocks on the window very nonchalantly, and Rosemary very timidly rolls down the window, and he asks her why she's still there, and she says, against my better judgment and not wanting to ask, can I give you a lift somewhere else? And John is very surprised, and he asks her if she means that, that she really wants him to get in the car. And Rosemary is very honest and doesn't lie, and she says, I want to go home. And we see the emotion, the fear, she's showing it to him, she's being honest, and before he lets her go, John decides to give her Ethel's Orb of Protection, telling her that she will never be hurt and never have to lie to avoid being hurt or scared ever again. He gives it to her, and it's his gift to her, no strings attached, and Rosemary gets to drive off into the night, now with supernatural protection of a very, very strong and powerful inside out if you know what i mean degree and john is ready to use his ruby to save the world so i'll just open this one up to anybody who wants to talk about the ending of this little section here what did we think where do we think it's going i was surprised that 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 she got the orb because a part of me was like once he's got the orb and he's got the red gem He's basically unstoppable. No one can touch him, and he can make dreams a reality. So why would he give up that trump card? And then, and I had to be told by my husband, no, like, why does he need the orb when he has the gem? With the gem, he's all powerful. He doesn't need, he doesn't need the 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 orb of protection anymore. So with that in mind, then it made sense that he gave it to someone who 
was probably more of a mother to him than his own mother that that treated him well even though like he he's been treated bad for the past 30 years in a psych ward like he he felt bad for her for for treating her badly he felt bad for scaring her and was like hey here you go it now no matter what anyone else does around you you will be hurt and I felt like if anyone deserves it, it's her. So, like, she went through hell. Like, this whole episode is going through hell in different ways. So, it's perfect. And uh, just when she was like, I just want to go home. I was like, damn. Like, you did the you you did the perfect thing by telling him the truth. Because he hates lies. Had, had she lied to him and been like, no, I, I'll take you somewhere. I'll, I, she would have died. And had she left, like a smart person would have, she, she wouldn't have gotten the orb. So this is her just reward for being a good person. So, yay, good people don't have to die all the time. <laughs> Jeff, were you shooketh with what happened? I was because I did not understand why she stayed. And when she stayed, I was worried for her. But then she got rewarded, which was nice. I don't think John saw them because they were kind of like on the other side of, you know. Yeah. What shelves and stuff. So I think he still doesn't know what happened in there. Uh, my whole thing is, I mean, clearly. Well, I'm assuming that at some point before the end of the season, he's going to get his uh, ruby back. So my whole thing is, if it's been altered, A, how can you alter it? Because, you know, this belongs to a godlike person. So how can a mere mortal alter it? So I hope we get backstory on that. Also, if it's altered, how can it be unaltered how can it be de-altered how can the alteration be removed so that it can be dreams again because clearly it has to be dreams again so i'm interested in this story to see where it goes i hope this is going to sound mean because i did love her but i hope we never see rosemary again uh just because i don't want her to die like i want her to live her life happily with her children and no one ever hurts her again, and that's her happy ending. Because I, I, I don't want anything bad to happen to her, because she was so wonderful and so nice throughout this entire episode that I feel like I'm going to get anxiety if I see her again, because that means something could happen, even though she has the protection now. But maybe something could happen to somebody she loves. So I hope she is living her best life with that trinket and she understands that she will be living forever because she will always be protected <laughs> with that. What was fascinating is just that tiny line at the end, I'm going to save the world, which I guess every villain feels like they're the hero. Um, you're no hero, John. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, that's going to be interesting by itself. But uh, yeah, my anxiety for Rosemary was was very high. I was like, why did you stay? But then she got rewarded. So I, I guess, you know, everything, all's good that ends well. Or what is it, that phrase? All's well that ends well? There you go. Yes. So your anxiety was shared, obviously. <laughs> 
And this is coming from someone who knows how the story goes down in the comics. Priscilla, I'm curious. Do you remember what happened to Rosemary in the comics? She lives. So, like... No. Yeah, doesn't she? No. No. (laughs) Fuck, I forgot. (laughs) So, in the comics, Jeff, your anxiety and our anxiety... There's a different fate for Rosemary, clearly. Um, John's a little bit more vicious, and Rosemary's a little bit more of a uh, just random off-the-street person that doesn't have as much development as she did in the the show. And she meets a rather tragic end with no orb of protection. So I was very happy that Rosemary survived. And I was very happy to have my expectations completely subverted. Because going into this, I expected Rosemary to meet such an untimely end. But... They flipped it on their lid. We got a very awesome interaction between the two, a lot of tension and buildup, and a payoff that I never saw coming. Like, him giving her the orb of protection, I was with you, Priscilla, I was kind of like, well, wait, why would he do that? I think, Jeff, you comment on it, too. Like, he'd be all-powerful. But it was an interesting character turn for him to give it to her, and I was so happy that Rosemary gets to go home and be with her children that she missed dearly and wanted to go back to, so... Yeah, we got a, we got two happy endings after people went through hell, literally and figuratively. All right, so it is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once that character has been selected, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Jeffrey. Oh, uh, yay. Uh, Rosemary. I knew you were going to choose her. Yes, Rosemary. It. Fantastic. <laughs> I had a feeling as well. Yes, number one, uh, Sarah Niles. Uh, you were amazing. So nice, so warm, so trusting of this bat poop crazy man. I am glad you are alive. You tried to do some shenanigans. I'm glad it did not bite you in the tukus. You ended up getting an orb of protection for yourself that now can be passed on to your family and that sort of thing. But yes, from beginning to end, she was just wonderful and such a really great scene partner for John. And as you said, uh, Vinny, because I didn't mention this when, when I talked about her, that conversation about lies and why people lie. John was so hell-bent on his opinion she gave a different perspective. And if anything changes John throughout his run throughout the rest of this season, it could have been, or it could be, I should say, this conversation. I don't know. We're watching this two episodes at a time. But this could potentially be a big moment for him. You know, it it is sometimes like the little moments with just random strangers that can affect your life. And maybe that conversation will will come back into his mind later on as he's doing something that we will perceive as villainous. Ooh, predictions and fortune-telling. I love it. Priscilla, who's your MVP? You would go first because I could choose the leftover because I've got two in my head that I can't choose between. Oh, do you want me to go before you? Is that what you're saying? Yes, please. Oh, that's so benevolent and gracious of you. I could never. Okay, it's Lucifer. 
Um, <laughs> I, I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. I I came into this version of the Sandman before episode one, trying to keep my options in my mind open, and I knew about castings that were iconoclastic with the the traditions set forth by the comics. And every episode. I have been continually and exponentially wowed by the portrayals that I've been presented with. And Lucifer, I never would have expected this from Gwendolyn Christie. I thought that I would have at least had, like, this is going to go down in the annals of history. I'm just going to say, I I thought I would have something negative. I thought there would be something because of how picky I am about my characters that I love. But there wasn't. There was absolutely nothing about Lucifer that was off-kilter or out-of-character with the way that I perceived it. In fact, it improved upon my perception of the character in this series. And it was such an amazing, intense, and and just nail-biting, edge-of-your-seat interaction between Lucifer and Dream. And there was even a moment, even though I knew that it couldn't be possible, that I actually, for a moment, thought Lucifer was going to win. I had no ill things to say. There was no persnickety. So Lucifer blew me away and gets my MVP. Priscilla, I hope that helped. Yes, it did, because I was between Lucifer and Dream. And since you picked Lucifer, I'll pick Dream. I thought that Dream was very, like, regal and powerful in the way that he hasn't been before these past couple of episodes. He's just been, like, weak and helpless. And with the sand... And with just with his own presence, with his own wit, he managed to outmaneuver something that's close to a god. So, like, amazing work with him. And it's weird, but, like, his voice is just so, like, commanding. I was like, dang, I, I love Dream's voice. I, I, I could have I watched this show blindfolded, and I would have been like, that's Dream. And he's like commanding the stage and he's totally gonna win like i i just i i I had faith in dream so yeah dream for sure i feel like i could even enjoy if tom sturridge read in the sandman voice the the entire like encyclopedia a to z (laughs) that would be nice right oh uh, all right, so now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10 dream homes? The point system is allowed, or if you found the episode exceptionally dreamy, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden dream helm. Priscilla? I'm going to give it a 10 just because, like, even though you were fine with, with Lucifer, like, a part of me was still hoping for that for the person that he is in the Lucifer comics and I didn't get that like I got like an ethereal angel that's been like besmirched by like hell and is now like angry at the world it's it's a different iteration it's a different thing for the TV series but I was expecting something more along the lines of like the traditional Lucifer comics so with that in mind even though it was a great iteration like it wasn't enough for me. So I'm going to give it um, a 10. Alrighty, 10 right out the gate. Jeffrey, where are we going? I'm feeling exceptionally dreamy. 
Priscilla and I are, are doing the Ariana Grande. We're switching positions because I'm giving it a golden dream helm. I loved this episode. It was fantastic from beginning to end for me. Like, a shout out to all of the MVPs that were selected because they were all fantastic. But even the smaller characters, you know, Mazakine, uh, Choranzon, uh, Squatter Bloat, like, all of them were really just fascinating characters like I could have spent an hour with all those characters because they were just so interesting and incredibly rich and the actors did so much with their presence and their acting and their emoting in the small screen time that they had so for me this was a stellar episode I mean we all know about my girl Rosemary but it was just phenomenal from beginning to end that for me, I mean, it, it cannot not be a golden dream helm. And you know what? I have to agree. It is a golden dream helm for me on this episode as well. I was captivated. I was enthralled from start to finish. There were no lulls. Everything was woven together so nicely. And once again, we had two storylines going on that were interspersed with each other by reference, but came together in the end and also set breadcrumbs for a future storyline. When, you know, Dream wakes up and he doesn't have the ruby and now he has to go out for John. But most importantly, this episode just resonated with me on so many levels, having loved the comics and always wanted to see these things happening before my eyes, not just frozen on a page. Hell was a panoramic nightmare scape that was just absolutely just not one-dimensional. As someone mentioned earlier, when we think of hell, traditionally you just think of hot, fire, lava, red demons with black horns. We got a diverse hell that has many different iterations of what hell is and vis- you know, variations of suffering. And the the everything, every step of the way, I was absolutely on the edge of my seat. I was here for it. I had my expectations about the rosemary storyline subverted completely and typically i would be persnickety but i actually really loved the way that they ended that it gave an installation of hope you know which is an ongoing trend in this show so i felt like it was a great way to end after hope in hell in hell to hope in hell for rosemary in the car she got hope for a future of protection and an end to her suffering so, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Dream Helm, hands down. And speaking of ending, on that note, it is time for us to bid you farewell. So join us next time for a brand new installment of The Waking Dream. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives.
You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Waking Dream and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Starting with Jeffrey. Sweet dreams, listeners. And remember, never lose hope. And Priscilla. Good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Subscribe to The Waking Dream via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night and pleasant dreams.